Well, good morning again, and uh, I, I know that the, today's topic, we're talking about the naked truth about getting naked, that's the message title. Uh, I met a few people the first time at East Point, and I just said, hey, welcome to East Point. Um, I haven't talked about this t- subject in quite some time, but it is time on a fairly regular basis to come back to it, and I'll explain why in just a moment. I do want to echo what Matt said, uh, if you've got children here, you know, it's not going to be horrible. But there will be some things you'll need to explain. Or I'm going to pray again in just a moment because I, I need God to show up and work in my heart and your hearts today. And while I pray, that might be a good opportunity for you to take them uh, to Adventure Land. But I, um, I believe that this is an issue that the church has to address. This is something we've got to be aware of and, and deal with in an open and, frankly, uh, quite blunt way in, in, in our culture today. So Barry has it one more time, and let me pray for you. Father... Um, I've been praying all week that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds. Uh, I'm, I'm aware, Lord, that for some this is not only a sensitive topic, but a painful and a, a difficult subject to cover. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit would fill this place with your presence, with your peace, uh, that you would help us, Lord, to have ears to hear what you want us to hear, and that we would understand maybe some things we haven't understood before or have some things affirmed that we need affirmed in our life. Or God, if by chance there are things that need to be corrected, that you would do that by the work of your Holy Spirit in and through us. And I pray that uh, because I believe that's what you want. And I do it in Jesus' name. Amen. A long time ago, I had a couple come to me, a middle-aged couple. And um, it was probably maybe 10 years ago. <clears throat> and they asked me uh, some questions. They essentially wanted me to referee an argument that they were having. And I said, what's this regards to? And they said, Sex. And I said, okay, well, I was very clear. I'm not a sex therapist. I'm, I'm not Dr. Ruth or Dr. Kurt. Um, I am not a professional counselor. I'm a pastor. I said, so if you're looking for pastoral advice, I would be glad to help you with that. Well, they assured me that's exactly what they needed, and I was relieved uh, to hear that. But then uh, it was one of those awkward moments. You've all had them. You know what I'm talking about. He looked at her. She looked at him. And suddenly he just kind of blurted out, well, this is your problem. You ask him. And imagine how I feel in that moment. It's like, okay, this is going to be fun. But uh, she said, well, um, here's, here's the question. What does the Bible allow in sex? What's okay? And generally, you know, when that question gets asked, what they want to know is what can we do in a marriage bed without being guilty of sin? Uh, I smiled because I've been asked this question many times uh, over the years and uh, many times since then as well. And I, I gave them my answer, and I'm going to give you my answer in just a bit. Before we do, there are several things I need you to hear, and these are very important. This isn't the introduction that I want you just to kind of tune out. I need you to understand where I'm coming from. First, I am not going to be able today to address the wide variety of sexual issues, sexual problems in our culture, ranging from impotence to sexual abuse to pornography. I just can't address all of those things. And do those things affect the marriage bed? Of course they do. But I, I just, I can't answer all the what-ifs or what-abouts today in a 30, 35-minute message. It's not possible. So that's not my focus. Second thing I need you to know is that I'm very aware, just as I prayed a moment ago, very aware that this is an issue, a, a topic for some of you that is, is extremely difficult. Some have been sexually abused or emotionally abused. Now, some of you have baggage, past history that uh, is very, very difficult for you. And I'm not insensitive to that. You need to know, though I'll probably try to break the tension with a little bit of humor today, I'm not insensitive to the fact 
that some of you have struggled and that you, it's really hard for you. I'm aware that some of you are, are, are widows or widowers or that you're single and you're thinking, what in blaze is this going to have to do with me? Well, it, let me, that leads me to the third point that I want to make about why I'm covering this today. I make no apology for covering this in church. I believe that God wants to redeem. If you're broken, he wants to redeem your sexuality. If you've had a bad experience, a bad past, then he wants to bring wholeness. But regardless of your past experience or your current present situation, I believe that we as Christ followers need to have answered. We need to shine in the midst of a very dark Fifty Shades of Grey world and have an answer. Do you know that that book, and I have not read it, and if you have, don't stop it, don't go there. Fifty Shades of Grey sold over 100 million copies worldwide. And it's about bondage and masochism, and it's terrible. Again, I haven't read it, I've just read articles about it. But that's the world we live in. You cannot turn on a situation comedy hardly at all and, and, and prime time without there being some sexual reference, multiple times sexual references in many programs. And so we live in a culture where we're, we, are, we are sexed out all the time. We, it's, it's always before somewhere. And here's my conviction. I believe as Christ followers, we need to understand God's position on this, be able to address that with our friends, our family, our kids, our spouse. We need to talk about it. And I believe the church should be salt and light in the midst of this world. And so we've got to deal with this issue from a position of truth because here's the truth. God created sex. This was his idea. Now like everything else, everything else on the planet, man has messed it up. God created it, it was perfect, it was holy, it was good, and then we got our hands on it. And we have messed things up. But that doesn't mean that God's not in the business of redeeming, restoring, renewing, and that's what he wants to do through us. And I'm not giving up on our culture. I'm not giving up on our world. I'm going to continue until the, my last breath to tell people there's a better way. There's an answer. God's got something that is holy and sacred and awesome. And I love, 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 love having conversations with people who are not yet believers about this issue because I, I can be compassionate. It's grace and truth. And I can say, here's God's standard, and here's the grace that he offers to all of us. So the question they asked me was, what does God allow? Well, it's best to start with what is forbidden in scriptures because I can punch through a list pretty quickly and that answers some of it. And so I told them, well, the Bible is very clear. This is what's forbidden. Adultery, fornication. By the way, fornication, is, or sexual immorality as it's uh, uh, described in the Bible in lots of different places would include anything from premarital sex to sex with a prostitute. So adultery, fornication, homosexuality, incest, rape, bestiality, abuse, which would include sexual molestation or BDSM. Those are things that are clearly forbidden in the Scriptures. And if you'd like references for those, you email me at curtisepointchurch.org, and I'd be glad to send you a bunch of references. And, and by the way, some of the people say, well, that's just old Old Testament stuff. No, that's, I give you New Testament references for all of it. In addition to that, and I don't want to digress too far into this, but you need to understand this as well. The moral code of the Old Testament is still applicable, and it's very much still a part of the New, New Testament covenant church. Absolutely. The ritual law, the, the ceremonial law is gone. But the moral code taught, the Ten Commandments still apply today. Well, I'm a New Testament Christian. Those don't apply to me. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And, and, and I, I don't have time to unpack that for you, but to tell you, there's a moral code consistently taught, Old and New Testament, and it's a pretty high standard. And Jesus raised the bar. They well, why would he do that? Well, here's the, here's the short answer, to show us how much we need God, that we can't do it on our own. 
But here's what I told this couple. And I, I looked at them I could, after I ran through the list of things that were forbidden. They're like, like duh, we know that. Well, so okay, here's my answer. Anything sexual that destroys or displaces the God-ordained relational aspect of covenant marriage and selfless love is sin. Let me say that again. I said to them, anything, anything sexual that destroys or displaces the God-ordained relational aspect of covenant marriage, and I don't have time to explain all what I mean by covenant marriage. I've taught on it before. I actually have a marriage advice book coming out in about a month. It's the first chapter I talk about that. But anything that destroys that covenant marriage or uh, selfless love is sin. Now, <laughs> I could tell when I gave them that answer that they were less than satisfied. That really wasn't what they were looking for. So I went a bit further, and this is the part where uh, it, it's going to get pretty uncomfortable for, for some of you. But I, I looked them in the eye, and I said, okay, here's the deal. There are no mandatory requirements in the Bible regarding sexual position, oral sex, or the use of vibrators. Well, their jaw dropped, uh, as some of your jaws are dropping right now. And I said, uh, there's a whole lot that the Bible doesn't cover, and as long as it falls under covenant marriage and is mutually agreeable, then there's a lot of liberty. I told this couple what I'm telling you today. God is a creative God. Have you looked around the planet? He's a creative God. And sexual playfulness and creativity within a marriage, let me make sure that's underlined, is God honoring as long as it is mutually agreeable? God's creative. And so, let me put it this way. Let me be very clear. In fact, it'll be up on the screen. A creative God created sex. And in the context of marriage, it is a gift from him that he wants you to enjoy to the maximum. You get to about Genesis chapter 2, and it's already there. God created this. It is a, it is a gift from him. And in the context of marriage... It is a gift from him that he wants you to enjoy to the maximum. And again, one of the caveats is it needs to be mutually agreeable, mutually satisfying. I said this, I'm going to say it again. I believe with all my heart that Christian couples of all people ought to have the very best sex in the world. We ought to be considered sexperts. And, and, and why? Because God created this. It is a gift from him. God created you to have exhilarating, unbelievable, and mutually satisfying sex within the confines of marriage. That's what he did. That was his plan. Now, tragically, for many married couples, sex is a source of conflict rather than a source of joy. I get that. I understand. And part of that's the, the why is because, sometimes because of guilt, sometimes because of bad past experiences, sometimes because of bad current or present experiences, sometimes because of an attitude that's not biblical. We have issues with this, I understand. And, he, and here's why. I'm, the first thing I'm going to deal with is our attitude. Because what you think about sex makes all the difference in the world. You know why? Because your brain is the most important sex organ you have in your body. So what you think about it is obviously going to affect you. And so I'm going to cover briefly this morning. I'll punch through them pretty quick. Three important keys to mutually satisfying sexual fulfillment in a biblical, godly marriage. And here's the first one. Define the right, uh, develop the right attitude about sex. First thing you've got to do is change what's going on here. Develop a right attitude. I grew up in a church that never talked about sex. My dad was a preacher. I grew up in church. I've been in church thousands of times. And I'm here to tell you, not one time in all of my years growing up did they ever talk like this in church. Just didn't happen. And therefore, what happened was it was indirectly communicated one of two things. Either God doesn't care about this. I guess that's why they never talk about it, because God doesn't care. Or it must be evil. 
And neither one of those things are true, but that's what you grow up believing when you grow up in a church that never deals with this. Again, sex was God's idea, and it was his plan from the beginning. Unfortunately, and this is what is tragic, is that way too many over the millennia have misunderstood God's plan, and way too many religious people have misunderstood it. They, religious people, and the church has demonized sex, treated it as something that is evil. Martin Luther, and I, I, you know, I, I respect what he did for the church, the Reformation. I respect much of what he taught and believed. But Martin Luther once said, intercourse, here's a quote, intercourse is never without sin. What? But God excuses it by his grace because this state of marriage is his work. Well, I, again, I am grateful for Luther's incredible contribution, uh, historical influence of the church, but he got that one dead wrong. But that was the, that was the attitude of the church, and it carried on. Earlier, um, in earlier generations in the 18th, 19th, and even the early part of the 20th century, it was not uncommon, and you'll probably find it in some churches today, I hope not, but it was not uncommon for churches to teach women that sex is an obligation. They take them 1 Corinthians 7 and say, this is your duty. Now, when you're told you have to do something, how many of you have a little bit of rebellion? So they've taught it as, you know, it's an obligation, it's a duty, it's an, in fact, it, it, this has been taught indirectly or directly, that sex is an unpleasant, dirty task that has to be tolerated but never enjoyed, and it's only for the sake of procreation. That was taught in the church historically. I had a woman uh, who had, was a part of a marriage conference that I was actually uh, speaking at, and she shared a little bit of her story with me, and she said that uh, her early sex training was, came from her mother. Uh, she had a single mom, and uh, her dad, parents were divorced, and her mom disapproved of sex. In fact, here's what her mom told her. She said, you, you, for, you, you, when you get married, you're going to have to do it for your husband, but you're going to hate it. Told her that for years. And so imagine how she felt when she finally got married. And so, uh, sure enough, for the first several years of her marriage, she tolerated it. She uh, pretended to respond quickly just to get it over with. But after the birth of their first baby, she told her husband, I hate sex, we're never having it again. And obviously that led to some conflict and some problems, which fortunately led them to a Christian counselor. And that began a, began a journey for them of relational healing and sexual wholeness in their marriage. But where did that come from? Her mom's pain and bitterness got downloaded into her daughter long before her daughter even became a, a spouse, a wife. And it affected this, and so it affected everything. Let me say it again. The most powerful organ in your body, sexual organ in your body, is your mind. And that's why having a proper attitude towards your spouse and his or her sexual needs is important to fulfillment and sexual wholeness. Guys, I, I, I know I'm beating this to death, but i got to make it clear. Sex is good. In the context of marriage, it's good. And it's something, in fact, that's sacred. It glorifies God when it, when it happens within the bounds of marriage. It is a holy activity. And therefore, to be accepted and experienced without shame or guilt. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 6.20. He said, use every part of your body to give glory back to God. Can I just be blunt and bold enough to suggest that every part includes the sexual parts too? And I know, because Paul's dealing with sexual issues in 1 Corinthians, that that's exactly what he's saying. Use it to glorify God. And here's, here's the thing. I, I, I wonder how many of you have ever heard this in church. When you do sex within the biblical covenant marriage, and you do so in a way that honors God, you're actually worshiping God. I remember the first time that hit me, I thought, wow, honey, let's go worship the Lord. 
Amen. It, it is. It's worship because it's God-honoring. We think worship standing, singing songs in church. That is part of it. But our entire life should be an honor to God, and it can be a, an offering of sacrifice and worship to him. Now, of course, it's anything demeaning, violent, pornographic, and sex is not holy. But it's okay to be sexy and, and sexual and active in your marriage. Sex is not dirty. Sex is not evil. It's not simple. And let me say it one last time. Sex within marriage is sacred. And again, why am I landing on so hard on this? Because too many have misunderstood the gift. They don't, even, they don't think of it as a gift. And it's a gift from God. And what you believe, here's what I know, I no doubt about it. In fact, what you believe about anything and everything affects what you do. But what you believe about this will absolutely affect your emotions and your actions. And so the only way to have great sex in marriage is to have a great attitude about it and to understand it's a gift from God. All right, let's move on. Here's the second key to mutual sexual fulfillment. Number two, create the right atmosphere. First, it's an attitude, then it's an atmosphere. Create the right atmosphere for sex. Let me explain something that some of you men really need to hear. And I did address this a few weeks ago. Um, you might want to go online and listen to what I said, what every woman needs and wants in a marriage. But guys, I said then, I'm going to say it again. Sex is more than just an event. It's about the correct environment, the right atmosphere. And for women, that means lots and lots and lots of affection. You've got to create the right environment for her. If you take a very healthy plant, and, you know, most of us guys don't have a lot of green thumbs anyhow, but you take a very healthy plant and you put it in a dark closet without sunlight, without water, without, you know, any plant food, it's not going to survive very long. Why? Because the environment's not conducive to health and growth. And that's a duh, but in our marriages, and especially in this realm, this is absolutely true. We've got to provide the right environment. And guys, I'm, I'm speaking to you more than, than the, the women right now. You've got to make it intentional, purposeful, to include the right environment for your spouse. I was very young when I married my wife, Laura, and very, very stupid. Um, I was 18 years old. Yes, I was young. And I was overloaded with testosterone. Have you ever met an 18-year-old? Um, absolutely ignorance of the fact that affection was more important to my wife than sex. I'm not kidding you. Absolutely ignorant. My brain was, she wants what I want because, man, it's awesome. And for me to, you know, unpack this in my, th I remember the first time somebody told me, well, are you, what are you doing to provide you know, this affection for your wife? I go, well, I fondle her a lot just before we, and then, no, 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 that is not affection. Let me redefine that for you. This is what it means. So I was clueless, and I, I tell you, I love this quote by Gary Smalley when it comes to sex, and he's a great author and a great, great leader. I love him. But he said, most men are like microwaves, and most women are like crockpots. Guys are push the button, slam, bam, thank you, ma'am. Ladies are not that way. Most women are not a light switch that can be flipped on in a nanosecond. They're more like a fireplace, and you've got to prep it, and you've got to put everything together right, and you've got to give it a little kindling. That's what it takes to start a fire. Again, quite a few years ago, a couple came to me, and they had, I'd actually married them. I was the guy that officiated at their ceremony, and they'd been married just a few years. And the guy came, and uh, he was, didn't waste any time uh, telling me what he thought the problem was. And he said, I'm not getting enough sex. And his, her wife just kind of shrunk into the, the couch. And he said, I don't understand why she doesn't get turned on now like, you know, like she used to. Well, you know, often I've learned in talking with people, the issue is not the issue. And so I started to probe a little bit more and ask her some questions. And she was uncomfortable at first. 
But uh, what became very apparent to me is that she wasn't getting turned on now because he didn't treat her the way now that he did then. When they were dating, first dating and first married, he'd always open the door for her. He would help her around the house. He'd call her about 20 times a day and, I love you, I miss you, I wish we were together. You know, and, and she said, I can't remember the last time he actually called me and just, uh, or left me a note or brought me home something special. Gentlemen, the environment of care and affection is what gets a crock pot going. And that's our role, our responsibility. And even he admitted to me that he'd been lazy and careless with his wife. So no wonder she wasn't as sexual because he wasn't as environmental as he has, had been before. Guys, most women are responders. They are responders. And if you want to have great sex with your spouse tonight, then start preparing her early in the day or early in the week. Dr. Kevin Lehman wrote an excellent book. And if, by the way, if you'd like a list of great books, I'd be willing to give you that. But he wrote a book that, that, that's entitled Sex Begins in the Kitchen, and he's right. Now, some of you guys immediately imagine rolling around on the kitchen floor. That is not his point. His point is serve. His point is find a way to, to bless and to serve and to care for your wife. And what he means and what I'm trying to get across is that every woman is stimulated by romance, by tenderness, by loving acts of service, and by non-sexual touch which is, again, not foreplay and it's not groping. When we treat it anything different than that and it's just all about us, then no wonder it becomes distasteful for some women. They want to be romanced. They want to be wooed and wanted and made to feel special. She needs kindness. She wants kindness and affection all day long, from the kitchen to the bedroom. And to put it more bluntly, if I can be more blunt, your wife needs a romantic prelude to sexual intercourse. And the sooner you figure that out, gentlemen, the better. Affection must be the right environment of, for, for a, a healthy marriage and healthy sex life. And so guys, put aside your, your pride and ask your wife. Here's a brilliant idea. Ask her, how can I demonstrate affection better for you? What do you need? What do you like? How can I treat you better? And, and how can I provide this environment? Humble yourself and just say, sweetheart, I really want to know, how can I get better at this? And she says, oh, it's no big deal. Kurt doesn't know what he's talking about. She's lying. <laughs> she doesn't want to have conflict. No, dig a little bit and say, no, I really want to get good at this. I, she says, you're awesome. You're a 10. Well, then how can I become 11? I want to be awesome. I want to do this even better. How can I meet your need? There's this amazing and wonderful, very practical verse found in Philippians 2.4. It says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And it's a word that you won't find in the dictionary, but I love the word. It's otherliness. Putting the needs of others first. And I'm, I know I'm landing on the guys a little bit more, but we're the ones that need to hear this when it comes to sex. Be otherly. Meet your wife's need. Great sex happens when we see beyond the event and we create an environment and an atmosphere of loving care and affection. Attitude and environment. Here's the third key, the last thing. We need to practice the right approach. The right approach by right approach, I mean something better and different than the same old approach. I mean developing better skills and methods and means that enhance your sexual experience. Now, relax. I am not, you're thinking, oh my goodness, I am not going to discuss any sexual techniques right now. So breathe. Some of you need to breathe. Take a breath. I'm not going to go all Dr. Ruth on you. Now, there may be some techniques you need to work on. Again, I can give you a list of some great Christian books that will help you. But that being said, way before we get into specific sexual techniques and those things being developed, there's some basic changes that you can make in your approach to sex that can enhance your sexual relationship. They can. 
And here's a few. First, freshen up your sex life by being more spontaneous. More spontaneous. Now, I know that some of you already are pretty disorganized and you live a gypsy life, but a, a lot of us in our culture today, we're way too scheduled and way too programmed. If we lost our iPhone or our iPad, or our, you know, we'd be totally lost. We, it, you know, we, we, we live by to-do list and, uh, sorry, honey, it's not on my list today. And That's the way we operate. That's just the world we live in. But here's a revelation for you. Are you ready for this? You've heard it. You heard it here. You can have sex anytime and just about anywhere you want as long as it's wise and legal. Wise and legal, important components there. But, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays between, you know, 10 a.m. and, prime, you know, and, and the, the, the news at 11 might be that it works, but here's an idea. It, it, do something spontaneous and unplanned. If it's the same old thing in the same old place, in the same old way, it can be boring. And sex with your spouse never, is never meant to be boring. That's not God's plan. God's a creative God. There's this amazing book. Some of you have never read it. You're going to probably go home and read it today. Uh, it's called Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. And it's part of God's word to us in the Old Testament. And it is so passionate and so graphic, it uses lots of word pictures, that young Hebrew boys were not allowed to read it. They could read every other part of the Torah, the Old Testament, but they, they weren't allowed to read Song of Solomon because it was so, so passionate. But one of the things you read in this book is you find this creative, innovative, passionate approach to, to love, to sex. Let me read you just one passage, Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 7, verse 10 to 13. I am my lovers, the one he desires. So the woman is speaking to the man. Come, my love, let us go out into the fields and spend the night among the wildflowers. Let us get up early and go out to the vineyards. Let us see whether the vines have budded, whether the blossoms have opened, and whether the pomegranates are in flower, and I there will give you my love. Well, what is she talking about? She's talking about having sex in the fields among the wildflowers and the vineyards and the orchards. orchards. She's talking about making love outdoors. Now, that's pretty creative and fun. Now, again, be smart, be wise, be legal. Do not call me up one day and say, I got arrested for having sex on the beach and you're responsible. Be smart, be wise, be legal. But get creative. Mix it up. Change it up. Experiment a bit. Again, as long as it's mutually beneficial, and that is a key component in this, mutually beneficial and mutually agreeable, get creative. Why? Because I have this belief that creativity in bed prevents monotony from ruining monogamy. Let me say that again. I truly do believe that creativity in bed prevents monotony, excuse me, monotony from ruining monogamy, that we need to work hard at making this the best part of our life. I believe this, and I'm going to wrap this up so you can relax. I believe that in good and healthy marriages, uh, marriages that are growing, that sex is like fine wine, that it can and should get better with age. Why? Well, because you, there's a security that you have. The more years, the decades. My wife and I have been married almost 40 years now. There's this comfort that you have, this security, this ability to communicate. You've learned, you've developed. And, you know, I look back, I didn't know nothing, you know, in my, my early part of my years of marriage. I didn't hardly know anything about her. But learning and growing and developing is something that I truly do believe can get better with age. Now, are there, you know, things that create some challenges with age? I, yeah, there are. That could be. But I don't think that that should impede your ability to really have fulfillment in this and mutual fulfillment. But without the right attitude, without the right atmosphere, and without the right approach, 
you won't get very far or experience all of the God-honoring sex he wants for you in your marriage. And again, if there's some history, if you've got any baggage, then get healed. Get help. If you need healing, pursue it. Don't just stay there. God wants to bring wholeness to your life. If you need forgiveness, get forgiven. It's there for you. But understand this, and I'll wrap this up. Sex is a gift from God. It's what he wants for you. His, his plan for married couples to enjoy this, to engage in this, and for it to be God-honoring. And if it's anything less than that, then get some help. Get some good Christian books. Please don't just go to Barnes & Noble and go through the rack. I would give you some great recommendations of Christian books that will help you develop and grow in this. Go see a counselor. Talk to somebody. Get help to get where God wants you to be because as Christ followers, we really do need to be sex experts, the ones who can point people to the holy way, the, the God-honoring way that he intended for us from the beginning. I believe that, and I hope you do too. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Lord, I know that you have given us this gift. And I know that uh, there are probably quite a few in this room or listening online that would not call this a gift in their marriage. And it's either an undercurrent of tension in their relationship or maybe it's just out and out created all sorts of havoc and some, some pain. And Jesus, I know that you want to bring redemption to every part of our lives. The reason I can talk about this on Sunday is because, Jesus, you talked about sex. You addressed it. You, you dealt with the issues that, were, that that culture was facing with sexual immorality. And you did it because you love people and because you wanted to point them to a better way. The Apostle Paul dealt with it. He addressed it because he loved people and he wanted to point people to God's way, to a better way, to wholeness. And so, God, I pray this morning that if there's anything these dear people that I love so much hear this morning, that they hear this. There's a better way. And God wants wholeness and healing. Make us beacons of light, Lord. Make us people who, when people look at us, they go, wow, tell me how you've been married 40 years. Tell me, really, it's better than it ever has been? How is that possible? And then, Lord, for those that have ex experienced incredible suffering in this area, and today, they, they're, the entire time I sp was speaking, their guts were just churning. They, they just wanted to run. Jesus, you love them so much. You love them so much. You died for them. And you offer them hope. That's what you do. You offer us hope. No matter how bad we've goobered things up, no matter where we've sinned or been sinned against, you bring hope. And so this morning, that's what I pray for, that you breathe hope into our souls. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christian, as a Christ follower. And you're maybe freaking out a little bit, thinking, I didn't know the church could talk about this. And and yet there's something, something in you that realizes, wow, God is for real. And his truth is something I want to grow and learn. And there's just something in you right now. You realize, wow, I need forgiveness. You're thinking about the stuff, the failures you've made, and the guilt and the shame of your past. And I'm here to tell you today, you can be free from, from that forever. Forever. 
And it simply begins with a choice you make to embrace the cross, to embrace the forgiveness, the grace, and the mercy that God offers to you. So if you're here today and you want to begin your life free from your past and, and with hope for your future, and you want to begin your life to, as a disciple, a follower of Jesus, then just make this prayer yours right now. Father, I need you. I get it. I'm a sinner, and I, and I do need the grace of God. Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I want to surrender my life to you. I say yes to you right now. And I surrender my all, my life. Have your way in me. And I think that's a simple prayer. It is. But the choice of your heart now is what matters most. And so in your own way, just say, yep, God, that's me. That's my prayer. That's what I want. And that's that choice you make to step into the light from the darkness, to step into relationship with the Father through Jesus. Make it. Make that choice right now. Lord, for those that have decided making that decision right now, show them what it means. Show them what you're going to do. Just put that spark, that life, the Holy Spirit in them that changes them from the inside out and let them know that from this point on, they're your kid, they're your child, and that you're going to be with them all the days from here into eternity. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for your love for us and your, your goodness to us and for your gifts, the many gifts you've given. We honor you and we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one last song of worship. I want to encourage you. In fact, I want to challenge you to make this song a prayer. You sing the words, you can bow your heads, close your eyes, but I want you to think about what you're singing. Sometimes we go through the motion, we're passing the offering. Yes, the ushers are going to pass the buckets. If you've got the communication card, prayer requests, drop those in there. If this is your church, give to support what God's doing. If you're a guest here, don't feel obligated. But guys, more than the activity that's happening, way more than that. Make this your prayer right now. Think about the words that we sing to Jesus, and I'll come back and wrap it up. I love the fact that our relationship with God is such that we can sing those words, I, I'm broken inside, but I give you my life. And here's the an amazing part of that for me. God says, and I want it. I'll take your brokenness. Come to me. Today, if you begin your life as a Christ follower, welcome to the family. We want to walk with you in this journey, and it is just that. On the tables by the exit, uh, there's a packet that says for new believers. It's got a Bible, some trinkets to start with walking Jesus, information about the next steps class, which we really want to encourage you to take. But tell somebody, let us walk with you. If you need prayer, prayer team will be down front. There's communion available on both sides of the room every week that's there for you. And next week, we're going to wrap this series up, and some of you are greatly relieved about that. But uh, it's the last message in this relationship series that we're covering next week. And then we're going to talk about spiritual gifts for a few weeks and talk about heaven for a few weeks. And then we'll be into Christmas before you know it. Woo! But listen, I, uh, I appreciate you guys. I hope you know how much I love you. And I pray that you would leave today knowing uh, how much God loves you even more than I do. Thanks for coming. God bless you. Go worship the Lord today.